Our passage for the first topic on Scripture alone is Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15, verses 1 to 20. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever shall say to his father or mother, Anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. And thus you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. And he called to himself the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand, not what enters into the mouth defiles the man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Let's pray. Our Father, we know that this is your holy word. We confess it, and we know that it is the word that saved us from our sins by the death and resurrection of Christ. We thank you that we now belong to you, and we thank you that your word is precious to us. No longer are we distasteful, no longer do we consider it bitter, but now, Lord, it is sweet. It is our nourishment. And we know that this is what we need day by day. We ask that in, this, uh, in these few moments we would have a further understanding of how important your word is and how central it should be in our life. Grant that to us and guide us by your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Some of the things that have been said to pastors over the years. I know what the Bible says, but I don't want to do that because it doesn't work. Why do you talk about the Bible so much from the pulpit? Why can't we hear about other things instead of just the Bible in the pulpit? Why do you always talk about Jesus from the pulpit? Why do you always have to point to Jesus as an example? Do we have to do it that way? These are things that are commonly said. And though few people will enunciate these things openly and brazenly in front of others, many people have these kinds of thoughts in their hearts. Many have these thoughts in their hearts. Why is it that we have to go to the Bible for everything? Is in their mind. 
Really what's at stake is the issue of authority. From the Garden of Eden, from the Garden of Eden, Satan the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to detract and to contradict the Word of God. The Word of God was clearly declared in Genesis 2 verses 15 to 17. But then in chapter 3, the serpent, Satan, approaches Eve and Adam and tells them and, or makes them doubt the Word of God, what actually was declared, and confuses them. And then with that distraction, he makes them sin based on their own authority, not on the, the authority of God. He makes them sin. He leads them into temptation and into sin by deflecting and distracting them from the Word of God. If they had simply kept the Word of God, nothing would have happened. If they had simply obeyed the Word of God, it would not have been a matter of straying to the right or to the left. They did not keep the Word of God. Instead, they had human inventions. They had a satanic invention. And everything that distracts us and detracts us from the Word of God is, in fact, a satanic deception. People don't look at it that way, but that's actually what it is. Anything that deviates from the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God, is a satanic distraction, and it leads people to hell. We will see so in this passage. Jesus is explicitly warning the people not to follow anything that man promotes. Now, these days, we have many things that man promotes. Psychology, sociology, anthropology, science, philosophy, medicine, nutrition, diet, food, you can go on and on with the various disciplines and how these various disciplines that are taught in our schools and colleges, that are taught in our seminaries, that are taught in Christian universities, all of these disciplines that are taught are bombarding the mind and even the, the, the Christian mind the, when the Christian student attends these places. And even from churches, Christians in churches, they have religious traditions that bombard them. They have things they read about on the internet. They have books that their friends recommend and articles that their friends recommend. They have all kinds of things that are bombarding them about how to live, what values they should have, what goals in life they should have. But few people rarely examine everything they hear by what the Bible says. In fact, what they do, just like we will see here, the scribes and the Pharisees, as well as our religious authorities today, they will say, no, 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 no. We believe in the Bible. It's just that these things we're, we're doing conform to the Bible. Actually, they are in harmony with the Bible. They don't contradict the Bible. No, no, we would never do that. We would never contradict the Bible. They give lip service to the Bible when, in fact, their beliefs and their practices actually do contradict the Bible. Amen. If you take them to their logical conclusion, what their intentions are, they actually do contradict the Bible. And it is a very solemn issue. It's a very dangerous issue. And it's a matter of life and death. Really, it is a matter of life and death. We cannot allow that to happen. This is why, over the years, especially since the time of the Reformation, there were certain prominent um, objectors or 
uh, Protestants, they protested what they saw going on all around them. They objected to this and they said, no, we have to go to Scripture alone. And if it does not match with Scripture, we must throw it out. We must reject it. We must not obey it. We must not have any confidence in those things for our Christian life, for our salvation, nothing. We should not give that anything like that our attention. In fact, we should reject it all. That's what was the basis of Scripture alone. Let's see that Jesus actually believed in Scripture alone. Matthew 15, verse 1. Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, We note here that some of the Pharisees and the scribes, who were these people? These were the people who guided the rest of the nation religiously. They were the spiritual authorities. They were the pastors. They were the professors. They were the ones who knew what was in the Bible. Many things they knew that was in the Bible, though they didn't interpret everything correctly. These were the men in the know-how. They were the ones who had power. They had money. They had influence. They had reputation. These are the men who come and approach Jesus. They come from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of this religious authority. The temple was there. The priesthood was there. The sacrificial system was there. The festivals were supposed to be practiced there. So that was the headquarters. That was the place where the religious authorities were. They came from there to challenge Jesus. And notice how they challenge him in verse 2. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. They attempt here to make a separation between Jesus and his disciples and point out that his disciples don't practice what the elders say they should practice. The elders, the religious elders who had guidance and leadership over the nation. The disciples of Christ don't do what the elders do. Therefore, they're trying to put a wedge between Jesus, a faithful and true teacher, and his disciples who don't practice what all the other teachers practice. They're trying to drive a wedge between the two. And by implication, being cowards that they are, by implication, they are actually accusing Jesus. Because Jesus did not teach them properly. Jesus does not know what he's talking about. Jesus does not know what the issues are. This is their implication. The tradition of the elders. These traditions are religious traditions. They baptize, figuratively speaking, they baptize their beliefs and practices with the stamp of God. And they say, everything is okay because we know these people are godly elders. Therefore, whatever they say must be right and must be true. These traditions, many, many and numerous traditions, they concocted in order to enslave the people, to control the people, to make it sound like they know what they're talking about. And the people, they just need to conform. And what is it specifically? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. In Mark, Mark's parallel account, Mark chapter 7, verse 3, he says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. They have a ritual of cleansing and purifying themselves from various circumstances and objects. 
and the objects that they use. They have a ritual of cleansing themselves. They put a religious connotation, a religious authority on these activities, and they enslave the people to make them do all these things. This is the tradition of the elders. It's not simply washing your hands to have clean hands to eat food. That wasn't the issue. It was more than that. It was a ritualistic thing that they were practicing, which is not found in the Bible. It's not found in the Old Testament. It's not there whatsoever. So, verse 3, Jesus answers them. And he answered and said to them, And why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Jesus, he throws it back on them. They are accusing him, but Jesus accuses them and puts it on a higher plane. He says, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God? That's the real issue. They transgressed the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. They convinced the people, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. We know what we're talking about. None of this contradicts the Word of God. We, we're, we're not demeaning the Bible. No. We put it on, on high authority. We believe in the Bible. This is what they would have to say to the people to convince them. But Jesus calls them out on it. He says, no, you don't really believe the Bible. You transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition. In Jesus' mind, it's an either or. In Jesus' mind, you could not have both happening at the same time. If it's a human invention, how could the human invention be in harmony with the commandment of God? If it comes from heaven, it's either coming from heaven or it's coming from the earth. If it comes from heaven, it's from God. If it's coming from the earth, it's not from God. Jesus says you have to choose. It's the commandment of God that you must choose. Then he explains verse 4. For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. Here we have two commandments. One from Exodus 20, verse 12. And the second from Exodus 21, 17. The first is in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. And the second one, if we do not properly honor father and mother, we speak evil, we speak evil, wrong, slander against them, and father or mother, and if we do that, let him be put to death. Jesus is saying there was a death penalty for those who dishonored father and mother. A death penalty. Execution. This is the consequence of the one who transgresses this commandment. Not all of the commandments required the death penalty, but this one did. Jesus points it out. He's heightening the seriousness of it. He's heightening the gravity of them dishonoring father or mother. He's heightening it. And he's showing that Moses, from God, told the people exactly what it meant. And what they should do and what they should not do. And the consequences if they transgressed that commandment. Verse 5. Jesus shows how they contradict it. But you say... Notice the difference, verse 4, God said, but verse 5, but you say, whoever shall say to his father or mother, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother. This is what they would say. Whatever your parents need, 
presumably in their old age, when they are widows or widowers, when they need help from their children, financial help, housing, whatever, care that they need, they were saying, anything you might do to honor them in their old age, by your material possessions that you now have, and you do have the ability to help your aged parents, you have that capability, anything that you have there, you don't need to give it to them. No, 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 no. You don't have to be doing it that way. You can just give it to God. You see how they baptize it with a, a religious flavor? They put some religious coating on it. They said, no, no, just give it to God. Don't give it to your parents. Just give it to God. Meaning, give it to the temple and put it in the box in the temple so that the religious authorities get the money and they can do with it whatever they want and exploit the people that way. Because we know from Luke, Luke chapter 16, that they were lovers of money. They were lovers of money. And they scoffed at people who did not have money. And they exploited people who did have the money. Whether they were rich or poor, they tried to get as much money out of them as possible. Here we see then that they gave a religious covering, a spiritual covering... Saying, God's okay with it because you're giving it to God. Right. He's okay. You don't need to help your parents with the support that they need. And verse 6, they actually say, He is not to honor his father or his mother. He is not to honor. By that point, notice how they craft this. This is just like Satan in the Garden of Eden. Satan in the Garden of Eden, he threw in this comment or that comment... He distracted and, and brought doubt on Adam and Eve on what God had actually said. And then finally he said, you shall not die. Right. That's not going to happen. He finally said that and then they partook of the tree. In this case, they finally say, he is not to honor his father or his mother. Their true heart comes out eventually. No, no, that's not what God meant. You don't have to honor your parents like that. That's not what he meant. He just meant when you're five years old. He didn't mean it at the rest of, in the rest of your lifespan. He just meant when you're five years old. You know, you don't have to honor your parents. No, don't do that. And what's the consequence? Verse 6. And thus, you invalidate the Word of God for the sake of your tradition. You invalidate the Word of God. In Mark's account, he says, you nicely set it aside. You conveniently set it aside. Here. They set it aside and they invalidate the Word of God. The Word of God that came from heaven, from God Himself, which they would give lip service to that fact. That Word of God, they invalidate it, they contradict it, they set it aside because it has to be either or. And even the false teachers know it's an either or proposition. But in their sales pitch to... Uh, pull the wool over the people. They say, no, no, it's not an either-or problem. We can do both. It can happen both at the same time. It's not either-or. But really in their heart, if you press the point with them long enough, their true heart will come out. They themselves, the false teachers, know it's an either-or proposition. So, they invalidate God's word for man's word. For man's sinful and feeble and finite word. That's what they do. Verse 7. You hypocrites. This is Jesus speaking to them. He's calling, he's calling the detractors and the false teachers who they really are 
right to their face in front of the people who are seeing and hearing all of this. He says it straight to them. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as their doctrines the precepts of men. They were hypocritical. Isaiah had his own generation of hypocrites that he confronted. And this is common because sin is common. From the time of Adam until the end of the world, these sins will be everywhere. In every society, in every church, in every culture, every language, everybody will have this problem of hypocrisy. That is, they will honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from them. Far, far from Him. They honor God with their lips. They will say words that sound like they truly love God. They truly know God. They want to draw near to God. They want to truly worship God. They come to a place of worship. They come to a house of worship. They read the scriptures. They hear. They sing songs. That They offer prayers. They do all the things that you would expect them to do. But it's all lip service. It's all a show. They don't really believe everything that they're saying and doing in the religious services. Their heart's far away. This is the definition of a hypocrite. A hypocrite is a false person on the inside and he puts a show on the outside. That's a hypocrite. In vain do they worship me. So this is useless. It's completely futile. It's vain. It doesn't lead to anything. And what do they focus on? What is their hope? They teach as their doctrines the precepts of men. The precepts, the commandments, the traditions, the inventions, the ideas. All of the latest and greatest inventions of men. This is what they practice. This is what they want to know. They want to read the latest book. They want to uh, adorn the latest scholar. They want to get an autograph by this or that famous preacher and teacher. This is the kind of thing that they want to do. That's what they want. They want the precepts of men. They would rather hear what man says than what God says. This is a part of human nature. It's a part of human nature that needs to be rejected, that needs to be repented of. We need to beat it down. We have this tendency. And all of us, even those of us who are in the ministry, at some point in our pursuit of ministry, we have to meet a crossroads. We have to ask ourselves... We who teach and preach. Are are we doing this for fame and fortune? Is this the reason we're in the ministry? Or are we in the ministry because we truly believe these truths of the Bible. And we will speak them. We'll preach them. We'll live them. As we are convicted and as we are made aware of these things. We'll do so regardless of the consequences. Regardless of what the people say. Regardless of whether the people praise us or whether they want to destroy us. Whether they support us or whether they withdraw from us and then become our foes and enemies and say all kinds of nasty things about us behind our backs. Many people flock to the precepts of men because they don't want to deal with the hardships. They don't want to deal with the afflictions. Jesus is calling attention that it's vain. Verse 10. And he called to himself the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. 
He calls the multitudes to teach them a lesson. The multitudes that are in his proximity that can see and hear some things. But he wants to especially teach them so that they are not duped by the religious leaders, these Pharisees and scribes. The multitudes of the people, they need to know not to listen to the false teachers. They need to know. Jesus tells them. He wants them to hear and understand. It's not what comes into the man that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the man, this defiles the man, which he will explain later when Peter asks him. They should know this. How is it that, how is it possible that something on the outside of a man would make him religiously impure on the inside? Is that the purpose of the law of Moses? Didn't the law of Moses teach? And didn't the prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Hosea, did they not teach that the sacrifices mean nothing? That that which you do on the outside externally mean nothing unless you have repentance, unless you have a changed heart, unless you truly believe, unless you are right with God, that you're not a hypocrite? Isaiah chapter 1 is devoted to this. And many other chapters throughout the Old Testament are devoted to this to repeat it again and again and again to the people because the multitudes, if they're not taught properly, they won't get it. Because naturally, we don't seek to know what is true and right. We need somebody to press the point with us. We need somebody to drive it home with us. And that's what Jesus does here. He tells them, how could you imagine that something on the outside is going to make you impure with God on the inside. Doesn't God want your heart first? Amen. Why don't you realize this? You should know this. And what comes out of the man, the list of sins are in verses 19 and 20. What comes out of the man, that is what is going to make him an offense to God. That's what's going to make him loathsome to God. Not what he does on the outside. They were not taught properly that the types of the Old Testament, that is the sacrifices and the rituals of the Old Testament, were intended not to grant them salvation, but to teach them spiritual lessons about what God desires on the inside. That He desires faith in Christ's death and resurrection, not faith in anything else, not confidence in the flesh, not any ritual, not any animal sacrifice, not any grain offering, not any attendance of a festival. Nothing will save them from their sins. Only Christ will. But those outside, external objects, those rituals, were intended to teach them spiritual, internal, unseen lessons. Faith in Christ. They should have known that. And if they had known that, they would have known nothing that they touch and nothing that they eat is really defiling them. Even the dietary laws were temporarily in place to teach them to make a distinction between that which is holy and that which is unholy. That which is godly and that which is ungodly. That's the difference. That was one of the main reasons why the dietary laws were instituted to teach them a spiritual lesson that their life should be daily focused on having a distinction between righteousness and wickedness, light and darkness. That was the purpose of the animal sacrifices. Not because a certain kind of animal, if you consumed it, necessarily made you spiritually unclean and will send you to hell. That wasn't the issue. 
Verse 12. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? His disciples. Notice. His disciples are caught midpoint. They're caught midpoint. The wedge that the Pharisees and the scribes are trying to promote here between Jesus and his disciples, his disciples are concerned about that. Now, the disciples are trying to get Jesus and the Pharisees to like each other. The disciples are trying to do this because they say, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the statement? Jesus, you got to be careful. You got to back off. Don't be so explicit. Don't call them hypocrites. Don't you, aren't you concerned about tone and perception? Isn't that a popular phrase these days? We've got to be tolerant. No. Jesus says in verse 13, he teaches them further. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Jesus, his answer is that whatever plant my heavenly father plants, that will remain. And that will bear fruit, the implication. That will remain and that will bear fruit. But if it is not one that he has planted, it's going to be uprooted because it's just the weed. It's useless. And it's dangerous to the plants around the weed. So it's going to be rooted up. There is a distinction. We can know the difference between a, a tree that produces fruit and a tree that does not produce fruit. The one that does not produce fruit is useless and worthless. And it needs to be uprooted and taken out of the ground because it's wasting the ground and just, uh, taking away from the plants that need to bear fruit. And he says this will happen. And God will take care of this. Amen. But also, not only will God take care of this, we have to take care of it. Right. Verse 14. Let them alone. He says, let them alone. These, these men who persist in their wickedness, these men who persist in their traditions of men, at a point, you can talk to them, but at, then at a point, you have to let them alone. He's saying, essentially, let them go to hell. Let them alone. They, they are so obstinate. They won't listen to anybody. Let them alone. Leave them alone. Let them go to hell. And how do we know he's saying let them go to hell? He's saying they are blind. They will lead blind people. Because if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Both will go into the pit of hell. Both will be condemned to hell because both are blind. The leader and the followers are all blind, after you t tell them, after you warn them, after you teach them, then you have to leave them alone and let them go to hell. Yes, this is gentle Jesus. This is the perfect and sinless Savior who said, let them alone. Meaning, let them go to hell. Matthew 23, he confronts the scribes and the Pharisees again. Matthew 23, 29. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, If we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Consequently, you bear witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? 
Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. That upon you may fall the, the guilt of the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Jesus says that these scribes and Pharisees, they are not the spiritual sons of the true prophets. No, in fact, they are the spiritual sons of the false prophets and those who follow the false prophets and put to death the true prophets of God. That's who they really are. So he tells them, continue to do this. Go ahead. Verse 32, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. He did not say, stop filling up, stop doing that. He said, continue, go ahead. You won't listen to me? Go ahead. And verse 33, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how shall you escape the sentence of hell? You're going to hell and there's no escape for you. So just keep going. If you won't repent, just keep going, you'll go to hell. That's what he's saying in chapter 15 too. They both will fall into the pit of hell. The leaders who are blind and their blind followers. Chapter 15, verse 15. 15, 15. And Peter answered and said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Notice Peter asked this question, and Jesus confronts Peter. How long does it take? How many times do I have to teach you? Was I not clear enough? Is the point. And he says, Are you still without understanding? Don't you get it? That the Bible was written for these various purposes. It wasn't written for the purposes that the false teachers, these Pharisees and scribes, are telling you. Don't you understand? Isn't it self-evident? Just read it. You'll see it's right there. It's not as though Jesus is inventing anything. In fact, the false teachers are inventing the things. Jesus isn't. He's saying, why don't you get it? I've already taught you. It's right here in the Word. You should know. And in fact, you should be supporting me against them. By this point, Peter does not need to ask Jesus. He should not need to ask Jesus. He should be ready and able to confront the Pharisees and the scribes on behalf of Jesus. Verse 17. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Don't you understand that food has a purpose And it's not a spiritual purpose. Its basic purpose is physical. It goes into your stomach and then it's eliminated. It passes out of your body. Don't you understand that? That's what food is. That's what food is. So if you don't understand the proper place of food, if you don't understand that, you make food contradict the Bible. You make food and the traditions of men and the external things contradict the spiritual truths of the Bible, then there's a problem. You don't get it. You have no comprehension and you are actually making that external thing contradict the commandment of God. You should get it. You should know. It should be self-evident. Who, who, for example, would imagine that if I eat one thing and not another, then I will go to heaven? Why would that thought enter the human mind unless it came from Satan and the flesh? Why would that thought come into the mind? It should not be that way. In fact, we should always ask, let me ask God. Let me seek the Bible. 
Let me see what the Bible says about this or that, about this choice, about these values, about what my friends are saying, what I'm hearing. I hear this clamor every day. Let me figure out what God says about it. And then be resolved to focus on what God says. Amen. Verse 18. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. That which comes from within. Before someone, before someone does anything evil, does it not have to originate inside him first? Does it not? And the examples he gives here, if a thought is going to be known, how will it be known? We say to one another, especially spouses say to each other, I can't read your mind, right? <laughs> what do they mean? You have to actually say what your thought is for me to know what you're thinking, right? So, but if it's an evil thought, you have to enunciate it for us to know, for people to know what is in your mind. The same with murder. Before a murder can happen, does not hatred and anger have to be first there in the human heart? It has to be there first, and then it produces the actual taking of an innocent human life, murder. Adultery, does it not have to be that one who is married sees another woman? Let's say it's a man, a man sees a woman, and he wants to have her, although he has his wife. Doesn't it first have to start on the inside and in the mind? The same with fornication, fornication is all other sexual sins. Does it not have to first start on the inside before it shows itself on the outside? Thefts, don't thieves first have to covet what they see? They, want to, they don't have it, they don't possess it, they want the money, they want the gold, they want something that somebody else has. And so they find a way, they plot and scheme to obtain it by force, they take it away. It starts on the inside, a false witness, a false witness, somebody who's going to lie. Does he not have to do that with premeditation? Does he not have to think about what he's going to say? Think about the circumstances, especially if he's going to a courtroom? He's, he's thinking about what he's going to say. Well, I don't know. I forgot. I don't think I saw that part. I, I, I wasn't there. When he knows he was there. And he does know what was said and heard. So, that's what a false witness has to do. He has to do it first on the inside before he speaks a lie. And the slanders as well. Slander is saying something that's untrue about somebody else to destroy their reputation, to destroy their character. You know it's not true of them, but you say it anyways, and it's behind the back. That's slander. Is that also not premeditated? Before the words are said, in front of so-and-so in a corner, pss, pss, let me tell you about so-and-so. Before that's said, they have to think about it inside and then say it. How could it be? That people miss out this. He says, These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. These sins, primarily right here, we see taken from the Ten Commandments, right here in verse 19. How is it possible that something on the outside, a tradition of men, some ritual that contradicts the Bible, is put on a plane higher than the Bible, and, but actually, it contradicts the Bible. Don't you get that the Bible is about unseen and spiritual truths? 
It's about unseen things that are the basis of what we do physically, about how we handle money and how we handle everything else in life. Don't you understand? It starts on the inside and shows up on the outside. Well, I hope we see from this passage that we must never, never contradict the Bible. Everything we say, everything we do, we have to have some self-control and practice some discipline and say, I will follow the Bible. I will follow what's here in Scripture and I will not deviate from the right or to the left. This Bible is the Word of God and this is my salvation. The Word of Christ, knowing the Gospel, anything that deviates from this Gospel of Christ will not lead to salvation, will not lead to the forgiveness of sins. And I cannot pretend in front of other people and especially in front of God that I'm okay with God when I'm not okay with God. It will lead to eternal hell. So let us never contradict the Word of God. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.